You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Hey everyone, we have a super exciting episode for you today because as everyone in the waterfowl community knows, we have been eagerly anticipating the resumption of the full suite of waterfowl breeding population and habitat surveys, and we have that here in 2022. Last year, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service did conduct some surveys in U.S. portions of the survey, but we lacked that full-scale complement of surveys. You couldn't get into Canada to conduct the surveys, but we're back at it this year. Pilots are in the air, observers are counting ducks, and we have on the phone here with us one of the actual pilots, one of the observers, we might say, that's actually doing the survey this year, retired U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service pilot biologist and good friend of mine, Fred Rutger. Freddie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good to be here. Now, Freddie, at the outset there, I kind of struggled to describe whether you're a pilot right now or whether you're an observer right now. So why don't you just jump right into this? Tell us your retired Fish and Wildlife Service pilot biologist. We're going to talk about what that actually is here in a minute. But your role this year on the survey, are, are you a pilot or are you, are you piloting the aircraft or are you observer? How's that working out this year? I'm the observer. I'm sitting in the right seat. As a lot of folks know, there's only so much plexiglass in a small airplane. So uh, the program over the years has been a pilot biologist in the left seat, flying the airplane, and an observer in the right seat. And I'm in that right seat role this year. You're in the right seat role this year. We're going to talk about why that is here in a minute, but let's just back up a little bit and let's talk about a pilot biologist for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Yes, that means that you are a, an aviator, I guess it would be the, the term. You fly planes. Tell us, for our listeners that don't know, 
What does a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service pilot biologist do in their role? It is a unique job, and um, what the service looks for is somebody that, that has uh, an aviation background and uh, and hopefully some float experience. They, they train for that. We're flying a Kodiak aircraft on amphib floats in the bush country up here. We're in northern Alberta right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, a pi- the, the, there's a lot of pilots out there that uh, are very qualified, and there's a lot of wildlife biologists that are super qualified. But they want that mixture, you, it, um, uh, a pilot and also uh, a wildlife biologist that uh, has the interest in waterfowl. It's a whole lot more in aviation. You know, it's about, uh, quote, being a duckhead and um um, that's the, that's the mixture they look for in the pilot biologist. And, and so, obviously, you fly planes to, to help conduct these surveys. You actually, as a pilot, you are counting ducks along with the observer. Uh, y'all have conducted uh, the pilot biologist role extends well beyond the waterfowl breeding population and habitat survey. And I'm going to catch up with you later on this year. We're going to have a couple of other discussions where we'll really get into the details of some of your history as a pilot biologist, some of your favorite stories and experiences. But pilot biologists for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are the linchpin for conducting these surveys that we know as the Waterfowl Breeding Population and Habitat Survey have been since 1955. We had a two-year hiatus here recently. Unfortunately, uh, we're, we're back in the air. And I guess for context here on your credentials, how long were, did you work as a pilot biologist? 32 years, and I think uh, 31 of those I made it to Canada on the Breeding Population Survey. Wow. Now, would that have been a record, or do you know? No, I don't know. It's up there, but Art Brasden, the other legendary pilots um, before me, um, has certainly a lot of experience. Okay. And so you and I overlapped, I guess, in terms of our work locations down in Lafayette, Louisiana. That's how you and I got to know one another. And and uh, you actually took me up in a plane a couple of, uh, at least one time, I think right when I started. Uh, my stomach didn't really handle that too well. I've always said that's one, <laughs> one of my I think we made a landing in the Wax Lake, uh, in the Chafalaya River on, de- on the way down to um, um, Chafalaya Delta. That's give you right. A little break. That's another, right. Another incredible duck area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I left an impression, maybe not a favorable one, but you certainly did. You landed and gave me some crackers. I believe Chad Corville was actually the other person that was with <laughs> us. So very memorable experience, not necessarily in a good way. But uh, but anyway, yeah, you and I go back a number of years. And, and I thank you for taking time here to join us, Fred. You are, as we said, an observer. You're on contract this year. You're retired. But because of your 32 years of experience as a pilot biologist, 31 years there in Canada uh, participating in the survey, you bring with you tremendous uh, institutional experience and history and having someone like you kind of on contract for this little, for, for the, the, the survey this year is really important in situations where we find us right now where there are, have been some recent re- retirements of pilot biologists and we're having to train up new pilots, new observers. And so that's one of your principal roles this year, right? Talk about that a little bit in terms of, you know, the, the new flyway biologist that you're working with, and, and and I think he would he's a pilot biologist. Is that correct? Talk about what's going on there. That is correct. He's one of the flyaway biologists, the pilot biologists. It's Garrett Wilkerson. He's from Louisiana and uh, no stranger to the duck world. Very avid duck hunter and uh, very, very uh, 
interested in, in especially um, the southeast region down there in Louisiana. He's living in Minneapolis right now. Uh, but that, you know, a lot of in this role as pilot biologists, we spend our time on the breeding grounds in in the summer and and uh, or in the spring and banding in usually up here during august and then a lot of the time um in the winter is the midwinter surveys and uh, historically down to mexico so uh garrett is familiar with that habitat down there as well and he's becoming familiar with it up here but uh, yeah, just a word about how these surveys are done. Probably some of the listeners are thinking, how do these guys fly airplanes and count ducks at the same time? That's not so much on the wintering surveys where it's more of a pilot role, although the observer picks up ducks on the left side of the airplane and an and a observer doing the heavy lifting of the county. Up here is straight and level lines. And the next day we fly, uh, we'll be all the way across the province. We're up against the Saskatchewan border now, and we'll uh, go all the way across Alberta to uh, the, the closest fuel stop is Fort Nelson, B.C. But so long survey lines, and the pilot trims the aircraft where he's obviously making adjustments to get over hills and 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 uh, reduce altitude over a river um, uh, system. But he's terrain flying, but he still has time to look out the window and count the ducks on his side. And it just works better than someone in the back seat. But that's 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 how the survey works. And we're going to move on here. I I could ask you questions for an hour about these pilot about the about the surveys and about your role as a pilot biologist. And I want to do that at some point because you and I have talked for hours on previous occasions. Um, and so there's a ton of super interesting information that that I can get from you. And I'll do that at some other point. But let's get to what you're seeing right now or what you have been seeing. I'm going to give a little timestamp here today. We're recording this on Tuesday, May 24th, and we have the opportunity to do this because y'all have benefited from, as you were telling me earlier, uh, a recent string of favorable weather. That's one of the things that you always have to navigate around is weather conditions can't fly in unsafe and, and uh, you know, uh, bad weather conditions. But then once you fly a certain number of hours or whatever the, the stipulation is, you have mandatory rest days. And I think today is one of those rest days for you. Uh, is that right? Do I have that? That's exactly right. We're we're taking it. We've been at it uh, for I think seven or eight days online, and um, I think the rule is that it's uh, two out of any fourteen. You you could theoretically fly twelve days in a row, but uh, we're we're uh, we're here on uh, the Athabasca Delta right now. We're we're uh, overnighting in Fort Chippewyan, Alberta the Otis community in Alberta and the Peace Athabasca Delta is one of the most incredible uh, deltas on the continent and uh, we have a lot of transcribing to do so we're taking the mandatory rest day uh, there's weather um, elsewhere and uh, but we the, a big part of this is just keeping the data straight but to, to get right to your question we're seeing ducks and we think our timing is pretty good and we Ask me some questions that we're, uh, we're, we're, we're real excited about what we're seeing. All right, good deal. So I want to provide some kind of geographic context for our listeners. I've encouraged people to do this on other episodes where we have some, you know, some kind of geographic concept that we're discussing. In this particular case, I encourage everyone that's listening to this, you know, once you have a chance, get go to Google Maps or your other favorite mapping software and, and search for 
uh, Peace, P-E-A-C-E, Athabasca Delta. And that's going to take you to the location where Fred's generally talking about. I think you said Fort Chippewyan is the is the actual little village or city where y'all, town where y'all are, are stationed right now with the airport. But that's the general portion of that northern Alberta landscape where you are. It's an incredibly important waterfowl area. Uh, so that that's very useful kind of spatial context for people to get an idea of that that kind of landscape where you are right now. So the other question I want to ask you to set this up is that there's a number of, of of survey teams out there consisting of a pilot and an observer. Do you know how many there are, Fred? Seven or eight. Yeah, seven, seven or eight that are kind of scattered across doing these surveys. So they kind of partition up this massive survey landscape among uh, pilot and observer crews. Yeah, just a couple quick comments of what we call the traditional survey area, uh, the Dakotas right up to the Arctic Ocean. So that we have of those eight crews, uh, two or three of them are in the States. The rest are here in Canada and uh, the, the, the Prairie Provinces. Uh, a couple, at least one crew out east, and Garrett and I are, um, as we say, in northern Alberta now. This unit we're in is the northern Alberta Northwest Territories unit. So before this is over, we'll within a day or two we'll be in in the Northwest Territories, and that that our last line is uh, up on the Arctic coast, at, at where the Mackenzie River dumps into the Arctic Ocean. Uh, the town up there is Tuktiuktuk, and uh, Anuvik is inland on the on the uh, Mackenzie Delta. But we'll we'll do a lot of we'll buy a lot of fuel in Anuvik. But our last line takes us right up to Tuk, and um, incredible place. Um, I'll tell you more about that later. But it just it it it's a big survey area, but from the prairies to the Arctic Ocean. And one thing for people that later on this year, once the report is released, if you go to some of the, there's a certain section in the report where it breaks down the breeding population and in, and and pond counts, pond counts in the prairie regions, it, it breaks down counts by these survey regions. And you can go and you'll be able to find that northern Alberta, northwest territory region that Fred's talking about there. I can't remember if it's broken out separately. Some of these may be kind of lumped together, but anyway, you'd be able to find that. And that's the area that Fred and Garrett are actually surveying. Now, Fred, over your 31 years participating in the survey, have you have you uh, stuck with the same survey regions or have you kind of had an opportunity to, to move around or at, at some point in your career did you survey multiple kind of uh, areas? Yeah, three major. Uh, I've spent my career in Canada and some there's some limited stuff in the Dakotas and obviously living in Louisiana and ferrying to Canada. Uh, got to got to see up uh, close and personal the uh, Dakotas and in Minnesota uh, traversing. But uh, I started in uh, southern Manitoba and then um, northern Ontario was part of that uh, that a few years later and then uh, moved to the northern Saskatchewan, northern Manitoba. Uh, boreal area and about the last eight years or so of my career I was up here in the NWT. And so is that the extent of the of the survey region that y'all are are surveying this year? I mean I'm not I don't want to make it sound like it's only the northern Alberta Northwest Territory region. It's a huge area. But are there other any other regions that y'all are, are counting this year? 
We sort of kissed the um, the uh, eastern part of British Columbia. Uh, when people think of BC, they think of the mountains, but there are some the plains um, where we're turning around. When we get back out to Fort Nelson, we'll turn around there and come back to the east. But uh, the Alaska Highway is basically the western border of that of that problem, you know, of the survey in BC. But, uh, so it's diverse, but it's, it's Northern. There's another crew in Southern Alberta during the prairie and a bit of bush, or as we call it in the boreal, uh, up to where we started, but we start in, in, um, in Northern Alberta and in our primary, you know, 80% of it is in the Northwest territories. Yeah. All right. Well, so this is a good place for you to describe the habitat types that you're seeing that y'all encounter in that region. I know there's a number of them. It's going to be, you know, largely boreal forest, but you can probably describe it in a way that's more, that's easier for our listeners to envision. Let me think of a key word. Let's, let's, let's just talk about beaver ponds. We, there's not a day goes by that we don't, you know, that we don't say, look at that string of of beaver dams up that drainage. And, uh, that's one of the incredible, and another thing over the years, you know, working in the boreal and, and, uh, we've used outfitters and, and camps is, uh, most, most of the folks, uh, everything's aviation based because there isn't any roads. So over the years, the outfitters, have been real helpful and uh of course we'll we'll encounter fishermen while we're there and and uh somebody said what are you guys up to there's nothing up there's no ducks up here it's just fish i said look guys when you ride back and forth in the airplane at altitude over you know 1500 and above but i said when you're out there fishing you see oh yeah there's ducks in every bay but but the the you know it does when you're looking at the shorelines the, the number the boreal lakes just have incredible nesting areas, uh, grass margins and whatnot, where birds can get away from predators. But um, but it's, it's, it's the beaver ponds, the the all those grassy margins of the big lakes, the river, the rivers, and then the deltas. This big delta we're on now, and then the Mackenzie Delta up on Arctic Ocean. Uh, I, we could talk for a long time about uh, the excitement of looking at ducks in boreal habitat. I'm sure. Now, Fred, you. You mentioned something about the altitude of the surveys and, well, you mentioned something about the altitude at which a lot of people fly up there being kind of 1,500 feet whenever you're kind of going from location to location. Maybe it's higher than that, but for people that may not have heard an earlier conversation uh, with, I forget, it might have been Ken Richkus when we were talking about, what's the altitude at which you're flying the survey and, and looking out the window and counting ducks? The average is about 150 or between 100 and one. It depends on how tall the trees are, uh, but uh, we we like to be high and be low enough to speciate clearly, but high enough that the ground don't move too too fast as uh, as you traverse along. So it's typi- typically about 150 feet and um, slowed down to about 90 knots. 150 feet. I want people to just think about that for a minute. I mean, that's you're flying one of these aircraft. It's that's incredible. I, I have utmost respect for the work that y'all have done over the years, Fred. And and I I don't think I wish we could put every single listener, every single waterfowl hunter in the right seat of one of these fly, one of these planes for for just an hour 
And then I am confident their appreciation for the work that you do and the difficulty of, of that work and the remarkable job that you do would fundamentally change. And so uh, my, my, my kudos and, and just incredible respect to y'all for that. So um, let's, let's see here. Let's talk about what everybody's wanting to know. Uh, the area that we just talked about where y'all are surveying Give us a description of what you're seeing and kind of, I guess, Fred, in a relative habitat standpoint, relative habitat condition standpoint. You don't have numbers that you can share at this time, but you've done this for a number of years. How would you compare this year's? What have been some of the highlights, either in terms of water quality, water conditions, as well as ducks that you're seeing? Two major points. First of all, it's a late spring, one, one of the later ones I've experienced. And uh, we did delay our, our uh, arrival up here based on that. You don't want to get up here and everything still be ice. Now, we are still seeing ice. Uh, the, the bigger lakes, uh, like Lake, Eth- Lake Athabasca here where we're sitting, and then, of course, Great Slave and Great Bear up in the territories, they're going to still be frozen even at the end of this survey. But um, uh, we think our timing is pretty good. The streams are thawed, the, the small lakes, uh, uh, the, the myriad of beaver ponds and all that is all wide open. And uh, in terms of social groupings of ducks, we're seeing lots of uh, flock drakes in the mallards, um, which is uh, indicative that um, the the hen is, you know, nesting and, and uh, they're, they're already done with their duties and, and are ganged up. It's still a lot of pairs, but, um, and there are some birds uh, still staging, especially the canvasbacks and redheads and scop. The diving ducks are still somewhat in transit, but that'll go on for another couple of weeks. So you just have to pick a time that you think's best, work around the weather, and uh, we, we feel that we're... Um, pretty much on for for the timing this year. Now, we heard last year that the based on, I, I guess, sort of anecdotal observations, we obviously didn't have surveys up there last year, but anecdotal observations, reports suggested that last year habitat conditions in the boreal were excellent, good to excellent across much of that landscape. How would you characterize it if you had to go like poor, fair, average, excellent? How would you consider the – and recognizing – acknowledging that habitat conditions in the boreal don't vary as widely from year to year as they do on the prairies. There is still some variation. How would you characterize it up there this year? I'd go, I'd say good. And it's such a vast area that you have pockets of excellent. I don't know that we've seen any poor, but one of the key things is, is the abundance of water this year. And, and everybody wants more water on the prairies, but nest flooding uh, in, a, in a really wet year can be an issue, uh, especially for the divers. So, so um, the, the, just as an a anecdotal fact is we're going to have to work around the Hay River Airport, one of the crucial fuel stops in this area. Uh, airports, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of laid out that you, 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 you have to – the workarounds – Get, involves some ferry time, but Hay River, the village of Hay River, has it was one of the worst floods they've ever had, and the airport has been closed for almost a month, and it's scheduled to reopen in about a week. But we may or may not have to, we may or may not be able to get fuel there this year. But that flood uh, is is huge. I mean, uh, there's areas that are too wet. 
I think the Ducks will, will figure it out. And, and um, uh, but if if anything is too much water this particular year in certain parts of the area, Fred, you mentioned the prairies uh, just kind of in passing there, and I know you're not surveying the prairies. I am curious, however, if during your travels up there, if you crossed over any of uh, any of that prairie landscape, I'm particularly interested in southern Saskatchewan uh, and southern Alberta. Uh, we know what to expect and what's going on in southern Manitoba. We know that uh, North Dakota is in great shape. South Dakota's got good water. But southern Saskatchewan, southern Alberta is an area that a lot of people are really interested in. Some indications are that it's still pretty dry. Have you been able to set eyes on any of that landscape during your transit there? Yes, we have. So uh, I flew commercial up to Minneapolis and joined Garrett and got the airplane ready. And and uh, anyway, so we left uh, Minneapolis um, for Regina, Saskatchewan. So traversing um uh, eastern north dakota as you suggest it's just incredibly wet uh there's some impaction to the ponds there you know after a dry year and and that's that's for another episode but uh, uh to the margins but into saskatchewan um mostly looking pretty good and there are some areas uh, and all of this is always hard to talk about cuz it's local but overall um it it looks uh, pretty darn good, really. And then what about into southern, uh, I'm sorry, southern Alberta? Did you happen to make it? We didn't really get to see that part of the world. We spent uh, uh, a couple nights in Regina and, and working. There's a new program that the service has this year uh, for data entry. And uh, since we were early and we were getting more up-to-date reports about the ice conditions, we use that time to uh, uh, get our, all our um, uh, supports all our computers uh, geared up and and uh, me geared up as uh, as the least uh, probably uh, computer literate guy to, but but anyway um so after we left regina we went up into northern saskatchewan and right into our uh, survey area we entered alberta in the boreal forest okay so you would not have even made it into southwestern Saskatchewan or southern Alberta. Regina, for those that, that don't know, Regina, Saskatchewan is sort of the southeast, yeah, southeast of Saskatoon or south, southeast of Saskatoon. And and so one of the, some of the drought maps continue to indicate a little bit of dry condition in southwestern Saskatchewan. And then interestingly, I was at a conference last week and heard a guy talking about some of his research, not duck-related research, but prairie wetland related research and commenting about flying out of Calgary or Edmonton and looking out the out the window and noticing how everything all the wetlands were dry and that it actually confounded some of his complicated some of his research plans because the wetlands were so dry you can't really study wetland activities wetland biogeochemistry necessarily when there's no water in the wetlands or whatever it was that he was studying so some indication that there's still some dry conditions there in southern alberta so it'll be really interesting to to see those data when they come out or, or talk to someone who actually flew that that area but um but yeah okay so that was helpful uh anything else fred you know the two main things that I wanted to do with this episode was one, demonstrate definitively to folks that the survey is underway, have have somebody on the podcast that is actually participating in the survey. So that box is checked. The other is I wanted to give people some idea of the work that you do, just a brief introduction to it. And then also the, you know, uh, uh, sort of 
early view description of what y'all are seeing in those in that area. Uh, anything else we want to cover here, Fred? No, I think as we progress up into the into the territories, we'll continue to to um, I think as we flow through there. Um, the timing will be pretty good. It's always good to get all the way up on the art. We'll, we'll be above the tree, be beyond the Arctic Circle and above the tree line. And it's always exciting to see the birds and get into some eiders and, and uh, a lot of scoters on those lines and a lot of white front of geese. Um, the, the, uh, you know, the white fronts are, oh, it's, it's really interesting to see a pair here and a pair there. And they're scattered out across that entire landscape. And we usually see um, a couple barren ground grizzlies up there. I, I can't remember ever doing those lines without seeing at least one or two uh, of, of, of grizzlies, lots of caribou. So it's an exciting survey to be on. And, uh, you know, it's, the, it's, just, it's just good to be up here seeing the ducks again in the spring and breeding plumage. Fred, assuming that y'all have good weather... Uh, or, or decent weather, you know, assuming you don't have some like extended delay as, as a result of weather, how much longer do you think y'all will be conducting the survey? When does it, will your, uh, your, your responsibilities there kind of come to an end? Yeah, it kind of depends on, on the ice line up in those last few lines from, from Colville Lake North from say 70 miles north of Yellowknife on up to the, to the coast, that, that area in a, in a really, uh, late spring can we you, we've we've had the delay in the past, but I'm I'm going to say uh, we should be finished up between the 10th and 15th of June. Okay, so still uh, two three more weeks there, just to give people an idea of how long this stuff, how long these surveys uh, are going on for. Y'all started when did you say? About was it about uh, was it a week or for? I think we got we left Minneapolis, I believe, 14th of May, and. Um, somewhere in that it, it all runs together quite honestly yeah i'm sure sure it does so just over a week maybe of actual survey time since then so okay yeah all yeah. right fred this has been fantastic i appreciate you joining us here on your on your day off i know you've got some work to do there with transcription and so forth and and then once the survey is complete then the work continues take all of those numbers all of those observations and the people back in uh back east with the fish and wildlife service and i guess at all different locations throughout the service will start working on this crunching the numbers and getting the data out writing the reports i i just don't think people appreciate how much work and time goes into producing all these uh collecting the data analyzing the data summarizing it writing the reports getting it out it's a lot it's a lot of stuff and uh hats off to all of the men and women in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Canadian Wildlife Service, state and provincial agencies, and even some nonprofit organizations. I, I'm pretty sure Ducks Unlimited Canada has some folks that are that are helping out with some of the ground, ground counts. I, I can't speak to anyone, any of the other um, agencies or so forth, but I know there's a lot of people that contribute to this. And uh, man, that work does not go unappreciated. So thank you, Fred. Thank you. And on behalf of everyone here at Ducks Unlimited, thank you. Thanks to Garrett. Um, thanks for everyone involved in the survey. Yeah, you're welcome. We, uh, we enjoy being here and, and it's good, good to be back after, um, you know, after, you know, after retirement and, uh, the crews are all, all the flyaway biologists are excited to be back in the groove after, after the hiatus. So everybody's talking about how wonderful it is to see those ducks and breeding plumage and, and, uh, it's good. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Thanks again, Fred. We'll catch up with you sometime later on. So long. 
A very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, retired U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service pilot biologist Fred Rutger. He joined us from all the way up in northern Alberta where he's been participating in the waterfowl breeding population and habitat survey. We thank him for his time and, and all the work that he's doing on this survey. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, who, do a, who does an absolutely terrific job of these episodes and getting them out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time. We thank you for joining us, and we thank you for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.